I feel like a lot of people, they inherit the idea of what success is from their parents or from maybe from their peers or from school or something where they just see like, oh, success is being a doctor or success is making a lot of money or success is doing something that my parents would approve of that they would be happy with. And those are how a lot of people would define success, but it's really up to you, you know, as an individual to define success. Welcome to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Imagine being able to earn passive income, build long-term wealth, while gaining total freedom from your business or job. That's what lifestyle investing is all about. I'm your host, Justin Donald, and in less than two years, my investments drove enough passive income for both my wife and me to quit our jobs. And now I want to show you how to do the same. I want to teach you how to create wealth without creating a job. You'll learn the exact same investment strategies I use to multiply my net worth to over eight figures all before the age of 40. If you want to learn all about low-risk cash flow investing, achieve financial freedom, and live the life you truly desire, this podcast is going to show you exactly how to do it. We are constantly embarded with advice on how to live life and do business. If we follow that advice blindly, we risk drowning our authentic inner voice that can steer us towards our dream lifestyle. Today's guest, Kevin Koskella, wasn't afraid to pursue his dream life even when his circumstances suggested otherwise. Kevin lost his job during the dot-com crash. Unsure what he wanted to do next, he decided that he wanted to be free of the corporate world. Common sense and people around him suggested he find another job, yet he decided to be a part-time swim instructor and personal trainer. Later, he turned Tri-Swim Coach, a business that teaches swimmers to become triathletes, into a full-time online location-independent business. Kevin built his life around the values of independence and autonomy. Nothing he does goes against those values. He chose freedom, and that choice made him a happier and more confident person. In this episode, we go over his journey from being laid off to starting a lucrative online business, his top investing strategies, the importance of designing and following your definition of success, and much more. One more thing before we get to today's interview. Kevin has a special gift for Lifestyle Investor Podcast listeners. He's giving you free access to the Freedom Quiz. How free are you in your life? What areas are potential blind spots? Is there any low-hanging fruit? Kevin will provide an analysis of how to build more freedom. To get this gift, visit justindonald.com forward slash 95. Thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Kevin Koskella. What's up, Kevin? It's so good to have you on the show. Hey, Justin. Thanks. It's awesome to be here. And we are, what, about a mile away? Yeah. You know, it's funny. We could definitely be doing this in person, but sometimes, and I think when we originally booked this, you were in Brazil. So, you know, I wasn't sure if you were going to be back or whatnot, but yeah, we totally could have done this in person. Yeah. Yeah. You got to do that Lex Friedman thing, you know, where you just have people coming to you and then it's, it gives that personalization. I think it's, it's awesome. 
Oh, I love that. Yeah, you know, there, there's something to be said about that. And there's so many cool things that you can do with the in-person podcast. And so I've debated a lot. Do I want to use the advantage of technology and Zoom where it really is effortless to do a podcast interview with someone anywhere in the world? I mean, I've interviewed people from, you know, probably seven, well, let's say six different continents and uh, many countries. You know, we're, we're probably at like 20 different countries where we've actually wow. done recordings, but there's just an ease with using, you know, an online platform, but there is definitely an intimacy and just something cool and unique about doing things in person. Yeah, for sure. But it, it is, I mean, just, you know, you're saying that and I, I'm thinking about how special a time that we live in right now. It's amazing that we can do this. I mean, it wasn't, it was only a few years ago, this was not even happening. And here we That's are, right. you know, we're, you're doing videos with people and audio and podcasts with people all over the world. And it, it just, that was impossible. For, I even remember doing one in like 2009, I remember talking to this guy from New Zealand and it was impossible. We could not communicate. It was like his his bandwidth was too low. We couldn't do it. And so, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. We live in such an interconnected world and you got to love technology for all the things that it provides to bring people closer and make us more connected. Obviously, there are drawbacks with a lot of things. And um, I think there's pros and cons with virtually everything. But yeah, I'm just I'm excited to connect. Kevin, you've been to 46 countries around the world, and I just love the life that you lead. You you have extended stay in all these different places, and you've learned so much. And obviously, I love uh, traveling as well. I've been to a ton of countries, and you know, we just share this. So I'd love to hear more about where your love and passion for travel came from and all the things you've kind of learned along the way. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and, you know, as far as like going to countries, it's funny because we just, we put so much emphasis around these borders and it doesn't really make any sense that we do this. And I don't remember what, I think I stopped counting at some point of the number of countries because you could go visit a country, you go to the, the like the one city and you saw almost none of the country, but you go, I've been to that country. And it's like, you, you check it on the, put it on the list. And so I, I'm always like hesitant to be like, brag, to brag about how many countries I've been to, but it, it gives you people an idea, a general idea of how much you've traveled and where you've been. And so, yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, I had this globe in my bedroom and it was one of those big globes you can spin around. And I was like, I would just look at that thing like all the time. I'd be looking at all these places around the world and going, oh, it'd be so amazing to go to Russia or it'd be so amazing to go to like Madagascar or something. And I'm just like, I just thought every place in the world, it was just so fascinating because it was different. And everything like for me, I had so much curiosity about things around me and the world that I, it just set me up for wanting to travel. And I remember memorizing like all the the capitals of every state of the United States and, and then like even some other capitals of other countries and things like that. And, and then in school, you know, I even had one class where we, we would study a country like really in depth. And that, that just got me thinking about like, you know, that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, I think later on, I, I, I read Tim Ferriss's, uh, for our work week. And, and that just clicked. It was like that, that is exactly, it was like, I was already thinking of these things. I almost thought like I could have written this book. Cause I, I was already thinking like, I, I don't want to just stay in one place my whole life. And I, I like to travel. I like to move around and see places, whether it's in the U S or, you know, other places and really get to know uh, these places and, and get a, get an idea of what it's like to, to be there. So yeah, that, that was kind of my start. So Oh, I love it. And you've got the world map in your background. What you can't see in my office, you know, you've got a, a view of my bookshelf for those of you that are listening and not 
watching where I have some of my favorite books I've ever read behind me here, some, some books that were inspirational. But what you don't see is on the wall over here is a full-size wall map that has like, you know, it's, it's a magnet map. I've got these little pieces that I can put in and I like putting them in where, you know, I went to this place on my own. I went to this place with my family. I went to this place with my daughter. I proposed to my wife in, in Bali, you know, and so nice. we've got all these magic special moments. I've got all these little, you know, they're, they're not pins. I used to have the, the old school map that had a pin and these are like the nice magnet things. Although sometimes my, my uh, cleaning team <laughs> wipes them off and we have to redo them. But uh, first world problems, right? <laughs> yeah, first world for sure. But I just love to travel. I mean, my goal is to go to every country in the world. People think I'm crazy about that. But I just want to experience everything. And I realize that there are some places that maybe we wouldn't be considered safe to travel. I think in time they may be. But I also think that our, you know, we've got a lot of media that over exaggerates the danger of a lot of places. I mean, even with, you know, a place like Colombia, we're going to Medellin. A lot of people here call it Medellin, but Medellin, Colombia, as they call it. Right. And people here thought I was crazy. Like, oh, no, don't go there. You might die. And yeah. it's like, no, no, it's I mean, there are certainly rough areas in any city, but we spent time, extended time on many trips. We went there. We had family that was living there for five years. Yeah. So, you know, we spent a good amount of time over there and never once did we feel in danger. My wife went when she was pregnant. My wife went alone one time when she was pregnant. And so it's just a beautiful country. But I think sometimes if we listen to, I guess, the, there, there's some fear mongers out there and people that want to create some level of news, then unfortunately, we miss out on these just gems. I want to call them hidden gems, but it's not so hidden anymore. Like people are catching on that, hey, you can travel most places in the world pretty safely. Yeah. Yeah. Instagram has kind of ruined that because there were hidden gems before, but now, now everybody knows about them because of Instagram. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, The, the media definitely gives you the fear mongering. And it's it's really important to kind of like use your own, your true self. And then to think about this, like, what is it that you really want? And do you want to be, you know, kind of led around by by the media and the fear and and just kind of shelter yourself into a, a world of safety over uh, over having freedom? Um, that you know, that's not something I would ever choose. I know you wouldn't either. So, but yeah, I think that there there are people that go to there's like YouTubers that go to the most dangerous, quote unquote dangerous, but some of them are actually dangerous places. And um, it's really interesting. Like there's a guy that that's I follow sometimes on on YouTube. He's a uh, Indigo Traveler. He goes to like the most hardcore places. He's gone to Afghanistan. He's gone to like all sorts of places in Iraq, uh, Iran. He went to the um, favelas in Brazil. I mean, he's been, he just goes to the most dangerous places and he walks around with a camera and interviews people. And he's never had, I mean, he usually has a guide with him, but it's like, he's never had any problems. So it's like, you know, if he can do that, then we can go to Medellin. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's no doubt. And, and by the way, I, I can tell you that like the favelas that I mean, if, what, what was that movie? City of God, I think. Yes. Uh, which is just an incredible movie. But I mean, that is a depiction of what the favelas or the slums of, yeah. you know, Brazil, Rio de Janeiro specifically are like. And we got a glimpse of that when we were there. And I mean, of course, they, I mean, that can be extremely dangerous. I don't know that I would ever go uh, in there, but. 
at the same time, there are ways to be able to experience these things. There are ways to get into the cultural and into different cultures and different cities, different areas in a safe way. And I know that we just share this love for travel. And, and by the way, part of the beauty of why you get to travel is exactly why I'm having you on the show, Kevin, which is, you know, I, I love to interview lifestyle investors. What's a lifestyle investor? Someone that has a lifestyle first orientation that has income that is covering their cost of living that has made some investments where they have assets that, that really produce opportunity, cash flow, whatever it is, you've done a lot of things. And I'd love to talk about your story and how you got to where you are because you've had success as an online entrepreneur. You've had success as an investor. You've owned real estate. You've owned Bitcoin early on and other cryptocurrencies. Like, There's a lot of cool things that you've been able to figure out that have bought you this freedom that you now live and have and, and share with others. And I'd love to hear kind of how you got started. Yeah. So uh, I got laid off during the dot-com crash and I thought uh, my life was over for a bit and I didn't know what I was going to do because I was living in San Francisco and the rent was insane. The rent has been insane in San Francisco since like the mid nineties. And so I just started kind of pursuing some of my passions rather than trying to get more money. And I realized that I didn't want to go back to the corporate world. So instead, I was reading all these books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I started realizing that I, I'm, I'm just not cut out for this corporate thing. And it doesn't even make sense. And so I thought, you know, I really want to be an investor. I want to be a business owner. Those are the things I want. I want to get to those quadrants, you know. And so I started doing like a self, you know, they have, he has the S quadrant where you you do your own it's like you're self-employed so you have to be there to make the money and i did that for a while thought that was the way to get more freedom but i felt actually not free at all and i was making not much money at all so i was like man there's got to be a better way to do this and and then i i just randomly i i came up with this idea because i was teaching swimming that was one of the things that i was passionate about at the time and i was uh, i came up with this idea because a lot of the people that were coming to me were triathletes you know adults uh, looking to get better at swimming or to learn swimming for a triathlon and so i'm like huh i wonder if anybody's teaching that online and i found that really there was nobody and so i'm like i'm going to do that i'm going to create a website that is just triathlon swimming and just do that and then i had uh, luckily i had a mentor i had somebody that taught me all about online business and so i was able to create a little website and um yeah, it just it just started. I, I made my first sale of my ebook, or it wasn't even an ebook, really. It was a PDF file, and that was enough. Just that one sale was enough to be like, I'm done with corporate world. I'm done with jobs. I I just I can't go back to that. I, even if I'm super poor and I'm making a little bit of money off online that I can live off of, I'm, I'm that's much better for me. So that that's how I kind of got into the whole uh, like. Um, creating businesses and, and doing things online. It it wasn't, I mean, it, it, I, for me, it was not an overnight sensation or success or anything where I don't have a story of, oh, and then three months later, I was making 10 grand a month. It was like, no, it was like the first month I made, you know, $50. Then the next month I made $150. And, you know, it was like that kind of thing, like really slow. But the fact is it was progress and I was making money without being there. You know, I was like, I was on a flight to, to Europe and I and I arrived, and um, I hadn't even checked my email. I was like, I, I was like two days of not checking email, and I had put my first product up. This is this is the, the the PDF file. And by the time I checked my email, I was in one of those cafes where everybody's smoking weed and stuff. And uh, I, I by the time I checked my email, 
there was a guy that had bought my my PDF file and he was pissed. He was angry because he didn't get it. And I was like, oh shit. So I, I, I was freaking <laughs> out. But then I ended up like, my first thought was, well, I made I made $15 while I was flying to Europe. Like, that's amazing. Like, that is so mind-blowing for me at the time it was. And then um, and then from there, I'm like, I, I fixed the problem. And then I started getting better. And I made the, the whole experience was much better after that. And then I built the website. Uh, I, I built up that website so that then I was selling DVDs. It wasn't just like a little ebook. It was a DVD. And then it was a membership site. So then it was like a full-blown thing where I was the resource for triathletes looking for swimming help. So that's what I did for a number of years. Yeah, that's incredible. And what's neat is I feel like you've had some great experiences where you figured things out and you learned some great lessons because you did well. You've also learned some great lessons because of failure. I know we've talked mm-hmm. about this uh, with even your real estate portfolio, where it's at one point in time, I think you had built up this big uh, single family home portfolio. You had at least some single family home rentals. I know that. And and I think you may have been swayed into or, or your emotions led you to believe that you needed to sell during a down cycle Whereas I know we've talked and you're like, if I would just hold on, held on, you know, uh, and all of us could do that. But I think it's the pain that teaches us the lesson. When things are going great, you don't learn the lesson as well. It almost doesn't even register as much. So it's cool to go from the experience of, hey, I just made 15 bucks while I was on a flight and, you know, compound that however many times over whatever time frame. And I know you've done very well in that space. And you've done other niche projects like this, which is cool. But walk us through like your your real estate experience, what you learned, what maybe you do next time, how, you know, how that shaped your investor IQ. Yeah, I wish I would have done what you did with the um, mobile, mobile park homes <laughs> because that that was that was something that was presented to me back then. This is like mid two thousands. I I started getting into real estate because I I just always liked real estate. I always thought it was cool, like. I, I just the whole thing about it just was appealing to me. So I got in um, when you could get uh, nothing down loans, you know, like everything was so easy. And I started looking at I, I was living in California, I was living in San Diego, and the numbers there just didn't make any sense. So I started looking out of state and I was looking at Arizona and then Arizona was getting crazy. So then I went to Texas, went to Austin and Austin was at that time was super mellow. There wasn't a, a big real estate boom going on. It was just like, Kind of the norm was it was a flat market, and I so I ended up starting to buy some properties there with no money down. I mean, you got to pay the closing costs, but it was like you know not that much. So I started acquiring all these properties, and I started with like a duplex, and then I and then I bought a single family home. And my idea was so it's a little more in depth story than just you know like I bought them and I held them for a while. I had a plan to do rent to own, you know, lease options. And um, I had all my properties on lease option, except for the duplex, but I had everything, all that single family homes that I was acquiring, I was putting right on lease option. It was a great business. You can get people in. It's a higher quality tenant. Uh, they will pay a, a much bigger deposit. It's non-refundable. They will pay more rent because part of their rent is going towards the cost. If they're going to buy the house, they have the option to buy the house in either one or two years. So uh, I was doing that and it was great. And then Texas, out of nowhere, the state of Texas decided to make lease options illegal. So my entire business plan shattered. And then I had these houses where I was like, I had to, I pretty much had to turn them into just straight rentals because if I, if I, unless I wanted to just break the law, I just didn't want to mess around with anything. So I just turned everything into a straight rental. And then my whole life changed for the worse because suddenly I had all these problems that I never had before, because before I had these people that wanted to buy a house 
and they were like pretty close, but they had some credit issues or they needed to get a little more money. And then, uh, then I'm just dealing with the average tenant and the average tenant is not very good. As you probably know, it's like they're, they're difficult. And there were, there were just so many problems. I mean, I have story after story after story about people that were flaking on rent that disappeared, that, that had a story that they had a story that they wanted me to, you know, wait on not collect the rent. So, so that, that started happening. And, and then, so then fast forward a couple more years and then I got a divorce and, um, I ended up, I had 10 uh, properties at that time. And, or we had 10 properties, I should say. And then they were pretty much all pains in the asses. They were all like really difficult to manage. And, uh, so she gave them all to me and said, you know, you could have them. I'm like, all right, I'll take, I'll take all of them because it was a burden. It wasn't something where she didn't want them. And I really didn't want them either, but I was like, all right, we'll take them. So I, this was like 2007. I started selling them. I got to get rid of these because I didn't want the responsibility. I didn't want the headaches. I didn't want any of this stuff. So I started selling one by one by one. I sold like six houses and then the market just completely went to a screeching halt. There were no buyers. There was like no buyers. I mean, it wasn't even, there was nothing. And I was like, nothing I could do. So I had to keep these four properties and I was forced to keep them because I couldn't sell them. So made the best of it. But I had a lot of months where I was underwater, where I was losing money, you know, and it was like, it was really, really stressful. So my goal in life was to sell everything I had because I just didn't want the stress. And even though I had property managers and all that, but you know, that even that you have to manage your property manager, that's never fun. So I, yeah, I started looking at it going, okay, I don't want to do real estate anymore. But that was around the time that at some point Bitcoin came out and I was like really intrigued by that. So I kind of shifted my entire focus to Bitcoin and crypto in general. And knowing that I didn't have to deal with tenant problems, it was like, I mean, monumentally better. So, Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I love your story because there's so many positives and opportunities, right? And one of the things you talk about is this lease option. And I love a lease option. And by the way, like for all intents and purposes, there's probably some grandfathering laws if you really dug into it, where if you had a lease already signed, you may have been able to keep that lease without penalty. Right. I mean, we'd have to dig into it. But we always talk about pride of ownership. When you own your home, or if you're on a lease option, sometimes we'll call it a rent credit, uh, depending on the property, you have this opportunity to bring in tenants, and we like to call them residents, that really want to be homeowners. And so they care for the home like yeah. it is their own. And it is a whole different type of tenant or resident than a pure renter. And so I think you're onto something there. But flip side, so yes, we could talk about like, oh, if you'd only held on, look what's <laughs> happened to Austin. But at the yeah. same time, you made a very calculated decision. And this is where you pivoted into Bitcoin. And you got in pretty early. And I would say of anyone I know, you're one of the smartest, most well-rounded people in the crypto space. Even though you like to keep a low profile, uh, <laughs> I've learned so much from you over the years. And I'd just love to hear a little bit more of your rationale and when you got in and kind of that journey with Bitcoin and, and expanding beyond Bitcoin into crypto. Yeah, for sure, man. I, I yeah, I love our conversations about Bitcoin too. We're so aligned with with the principles behind Bitcoin and everything, and and, and that's how I got into it was the principles. Like for years, I, I saw that the the fiat money system was was not going to last. Like all fiat currencies die, you know, they all die, and the U.S. dollar is not special. It's backed by uh, military force, 
And it doesn't have intrinsic value. Like that, there is no intrinsic value in the dollar. So I knew that this, the, the dollar was going to crash eventually. It was going to come way down. And I was a little bit ahead. Like I was thinking a little bit ahead because um, I thought it was going to happen in the mid, like, like 2015, 16, 17, something like that. But it's still somehow it's still hanging on and, you know, it's still ma- maintaining some value. But, but that was the, the initial thing. I, I just, I could see that there was something that was needed. It wasn't a, a government currency and Bitcoin came along and it was like, it's decentralized. That was the main thing that I that I was like, wow, it's it's totally decentralized. There isn't a Bitcoin CEO. There isn't a Bitcoin. There's not a Bitcoin founder that that someone could contact. There's no way to bring down Bitcoin itself. Like you can't just do, you know, and I thought that was just so awesome. And so, yeah, when I started, I had no money. I, I literally had no money. And I'm not lying. I'm not like exaggerating about that. Like I, I, but I had, but I had enough. I got a little bit of money over the holidays, Christmas. And I, I was, I was, it was a gift. And I was like, well, I got 300 bucks. I'm going to put it into Bitcoin. And I was in my head. I was like, I'm prepared that this $300 is gone. Like in my mind, it, it's gone. I'm, I'm putting it into Bitcoin. It, it's, it's essentially just gone. And I didn't, I didn't think that it would go up in value. I just thought, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to lose it. But, but I did think that it's safer in the long run because it's not in the dollar. And I'm like, I want to get out of the dollar. I want to get into something that's decentralized. So I started doing that. And then every month, if I had a hundred bucks, I would just put it into Bitcoin. I was just like little by little. And it was, and it was going up and it was like, wow, this is actually going up. And so all of the gains, all of the, these, these big moves and stuff have always been really surprising to me. Like I'm never prepared. I, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm a terrible, like, day trader or short-term investor, I have no idea where anything is going. Like people will ask me often, like, where do you think it's going? Where do you think Bitcoin's going? And I, I always say I have no idea because if I start to think, if I start to take guesses, I'm almost always wrong. 80% of the time I'm wrong. So I, I just rather be that long-term dollar cost average and and just keep putting a little bit in, a little bit in. And if, in the long run, it's going to be great. You know, and 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 that works for so many things. But for me, that's that's the only style of investing in Bitcoin that I do. I don't I don't have any tricks or trying to catch the bottom. I mean, I have no idea. Even right now, like, is this the, have we already bottomed out or is it going to go for, I have no clue. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a special offer that I created for the lifestyle investor community. When I look back at my investing journey, there's one specific investment in particular that was the spark to increasing my net worth and allowing me to leave my job to become a lifestyle investor. I'm talking about mobile home parks. Yes, mobile home parks. If you just cringed a little, that's exactly why these provide such a great opportunity because of the negative stigma and stereotype people might have. In reality, this is an incredible investment that you can get into with little or no money down. You can also quickly get a return on your capital. You can immediately cash flow on day one. You can hold it forever as a cash cow. You get accelerated depreciation to reduce or eliminate the taxes that you would owe. And often the seller will finance the deal so you don't need a bank. You can also buy them at the highest cap rate of all real estate, meaning it's the cheapest real estate to buy based on the income that it generates. And it's the lowest default rate of all real estate, meaning it's the safest asset class to own in real estate. I use this asset class to start my journey in real estate investing and grow my net worth to over eight figures all before I turned 40. And out of all the questions that people ask me, how do I get into mobile home parks is still the number one question that I get. 
which is why I put together this mobile home park masterclass. This is a paid class that I'm offering for a limited time only. For all the details, head over to justindonald.com forward slash MHP and watch the video, which outlines all the details about the class and exactly what you get when you sign up. You'll also hear the incredible success stories from students who have gone through my content and are now making hundreds of thousands of dollars in passive income. If you want to take the same first step that I did that helped me take both my wife and I from working full-time jobs to becoming lifestyle investors, join me in my mobile home park masterclass and let's get started on your journey to becoming a lifestyle investor. Visit justindonald.com forward slash MHP for all the details. Well, it's interesting to hear that. And I think that's such a healthy perspective because no one really knows. I mean, people speculate all the time. The smartest people recognize that no one knows. Just like no one knows what's going to happen with the stock market, no one knows. Some people may guess it right, but those people aren't going to consistently guess it right. And even when you have a track record of guessing it right for a period of time, you're going to be wrong. No one knows. And when we can keep a level head on our shoulders and say, hey, we don't know, I like your strategy, though. I'm in it for the long haul. I'm going to dollar cost average in. I'm going to start with 300 bucks. And then every extra 100 bucks I have, I put in. And that doesn't sound like a lot of money. But over time, in in a growing asset, that it definitely can be. And the idea here isn't to take... like I know some people, it's a very small percentage, but I know some people that kind of did the, all right, I'm all in. This is Texas Hold'em style. I'm pushing all my chips in. It's yeah. a very, very small percentage of my friends that did that. Uh, and by the way, they're reaping the rewards of having done that. Most of the people that I know that that did this, they made some calculated move at some point in time. They weren't sure if it was... No one really knew. They were hopeful that maybe it went up and this was good. But I think the purists would say, hey, I believe in the ideology of having a decentralized currency. I think that's better for the long run. And if I'm in this long term, then it really doesn't matter what the highs and lows are because I'm playing the long game. If I look at it from a long game standpoint, every dollar in, every dollar out, this is just a dollar cost average over a long period of time. And so that's something that gives me a lot of peace of mind that I don't have to time the market. If you, I've just found if you try and time the market, you just you miss, then you feel bad about it, and then you wish you would have done it differently. I've just come to the realization, and anything I'm investing in, I'm probably not going to time the market great. Can I time it well enough to like that, that it's long run a good decision? I can feel good about that, but that takes the pressure and stress off of like, ooh, you have to buy at this price. Yeah. I just said, hey, if I believe in something long term, whether it be real estate, Bitcoin, operating companies, you name it. If it's a long-term play, and I think the the value long-term is going to be greater than the price today, then that's a buy. And I don't have to get all bent out of shape about timing, which yeah. takes so much stress out of making these decisions. Yeah. And it, it's like that Andreas Antonopoulos quote where he says, you know, people ask me my strategy and I say, buy on Mondays. That's it. Like, just buy on Mondays and, and always do it. You, you don't have to like look at the price and go, oh, it's too much. I mean, I remember when, when I was, uh, th- this was back when I was living in LA, I, I was uh, talking to this girl at a happy hour and she's like, I really want to buy Bitcoin, but it's so high right now. <laughs> and I'm like, how do you know it's high? I, I don't know, know that it's high. I don't know that it's low. I have no idea. I'm like, and it was at the time, I remember it was $5,000. And 
And she's like, yeah, I'm just going to wait for her to go down a little bit and then I'll buy. And I'm like, okay. And then we went to the same happy hour, like two weeks later or whatever that was like two or three weeks later. And I'm like, Oh, did you, did you buy? And she's like, no, I'm like, well, it doubled. <laughs> like it went to 10. Now it's 10. And I'm like, is it, is it now? And she goes, now it's way too high. And I'm like, how do you know? How do you know it's not going to 20? I mean, you just like, so yeah, that, those are, those are things, you know, that the, the FOMO and the, and the, you know, just the, the fear and greed thing is, is just, it's such a crucial thing. And I, I learned so much of this, just being in Bitcoin and watching it and, seeing that fear greed there's a fear greed index where you can see how much fear there is in the market and and it's it's that's a pretty good indicator of of all indicators i would say that is one that it's pretty accurate where when the fear is the highest you, that's when you want to buy if the if the you know, when it gets starts getting into greed and everybody like when you know last year when everybody knew it was going to 100k we all knew it was going to 100k that's when you want to sell you know so that's right and you've got to learn to not trust your emotions on financial decisions. So this is why I talk to my mastermind all the time, you know, with anyone in the lifestyle investor community, I say, have your investment criteria, figure it out when you're in a good place in a good standing of sound mind, not emotionally swayed of what decisions you want to make, what type of cash flow you want to have, what this looks like long term. So that way, when it comes to making these investments, you can lean back on this one page investment criteria and say, Oh, I actually said, you know, back then that I was going to buy at inside of this window, or I wasn't going to be swayed when the price drops and I can hold. And so I think that is just a really smart practice to put into place. And then the other thing is, we don't know what this is going to do long term. Ideologically, I think that this is unparalleled to anything else that's out there. I think that it's it stands alone. Bitcoin specifically is kind of a standalone product with no rival today. And it solves a lot of problems. So to me, and again, this is not financial advice. I don't give financial advice. <laughs> I just like to share some of the things that I do. But just like experts say, you should have 1% to 2%, maybe up to 5% of your net worth in gold and silver. I feel like the same is true. Like, what if it was a half a percent or 1% or 2% of Bitcoin, where if anything goes wrong, it just, it dies. You're not out. No one's that low of a a percentage of, of net worth. No one's losing all their stuff. But if it does take off, you've got a piece of something that's pretty big and some exposure and this is kind of how I like to treat any of these new frontier markets, frontier industries, whether it be cannabis investing, e-commerce, you know, any of the new trends that come in. If you pay attention to like, where are millennials spending money? What are the spending patterns? What are the businesses? What's the technology that's going to boom? I like to be on the cutting edge of that. And I like to at least have a little bit of an allocation of my portfolio into these different things because... It doesn't take a huge amount of money to make a lot of money, especially when that investment is already coming from cash flow of assets that are basically producing passive income. Then you're, you're not trading principle that could be earning you cash flow. You're actually using the cash flow of that investment for something that maybe you would deem a little higher risk. Yeah. And I think in the coming years, we're going to have opportunities with what you just said with Bitcoin. Like you can make 
money on your Bitcoin. And it's there now, but it's just in such early stages that I, I haven't dabbled in it at all. But but I'm sure that we're going to get there where I saw there was a new thing that just came out where I think it was one of the companies. I can't remember which one, not BlockFi, but the other one that's similar to BlockFi. They are offering to be able to invest in real estate with Bitcoin. And it's 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 kind of a, um, a like where you still hold on to your Bitcoin, but you're able to use that to invest in real estate. So it, it sounds sounds interesting. I'm not I'm not quite there, ready to do that, you know, that kind of thing yet. But I think you know, in the next two three years, that stuff's going to be really common. Yeah, the industry is going to continue to evolve as more mass adoption happens. You're going to have better technology. You're going to have better like supporting like architecture, infrastructure, a lot more optionality with what you do. And I also think that like the winter that has happened where we're in this bear market, both for the stock market, but also the crypto market, it pushes the fools out. It exposes the frauds. And I think that's good because you can learn from, hey, let's not do this or let's learn from this company that ended up being a Ponzi scheme or whatever it might be. Like, I want to flush out all the, the junk that's out there so that we can streamline better practices and ideology and, and programs that are actually going to work. It's really cool to me some of the stuff you're doing, Kevin, because you're financially free. You don't have to work. Mm-hmm. You get to work. You have the choice of being able to work. You spend a lot of your time traveling and you spend a lot of your time like, you know, coming up with just different cool ideas. And so you've got this new book that I'm so excited to talk about where you want to help educate people about kind of the the inner rebel in them. And uh, the name of the book is called The Rebel's Guide to Freedom, Becoming Resilient, Owning Your Life and Thriving. And I love the title and I love everything that you're doing there. But I'd love to know more. Tell me, tell all of us, those watching and those listening, what it is that you're looking to accomplish with the book. I've got it right in front of me right now. Uh, There you go. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. So we're just printing it now. So it's going to be out in about two weeks from the time of this recording, August 16th. And actually, just just to clarify, those of you listening right now, it's it's probably out right now. um, That's right. That's right. We're launching this in tandem with uh, Kevin's book launch. So yeah, it's great, don't great wait time. two weeks. It'll be right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, thank you. That's great. So I've always been a freedom-loving person. And I started a podcast in 2013 called Freedom Lovin'. And it's the Freedom Lovin' podcast. And I started just interviewing people and talking about freedom and all the ways in which the world is not free and how we can get more free. And through the years, I just really honed in on freedom, the idea that freedom is an inside job. Like, all the politics and all the the external factors and things like that are not how we're going to achieve freedom. You know, both either as individually on the individual level or on the bigger societal level, we can't achieve freedom unless we dig inside and we really figure out ourselves. We understand ourselves. We have more self-knowledge. We know like what motivates us. We need to heal those traumas that maybe are holding us back, uh, the beliefs that are holding us back. Like all those things are the only way that we are going to achieve freedom because as we know, the, the world is, is going pretty crazy right now. And, and I think that, and that's what really motivated me. So I, in the summer of 2020, I was up in um, Taos, New Mexico in the mountains. I was staying in a, in a ski resort where there was no people and I was just by myself and I just randomly decided to write a book and I was like, 
I never thought I ever really thought much about writing a book, but I just decided to do it. And it was motivated uh, because I think that the world needs this message right now. And it's not necessarily that there's there's one thing and there's a silver bullet or here's the top 10 ways that you can be free or anything like that. I, I think those things are like kind of overrated. And I think there's there's a lot, a lot of deeper stuff that, that we need to work through as individuals. And so that's what my book is, is really about is like, look, the world is, is pretty crazy, but I know how can we change this? Because there are so many people that have their ideas of, of how we can fix the world and make it a much better place and not have these lockdowns and like shutting down businesses and isolating people and all this stuff that is so anti-human. You know, it's just like, it's it just, it, it's anti everything that mo- that most people really stand for. Like, like, um, you know, have freedom, love, uh, you know, autonomy, all, all these things that, that we really, most people really value. And it's, and it, you know, it's kind of turning in this other direction, but the, the, the way to change that is not to, you know, write your congressman or go vote in the next election. Like that's, that's really not a, a, va- a viable way to, to change the, to, to change things around you. So, so my book gets into the idea, you know, I start out really by talking about some of the problems and then I get into like, what is safety and what is, you know, what is security? And, and is it, does it make sense to trade that for freedom, you know, to exchange some level of security for, or some level of freedom for security. And I get really deep into that concept because I think it was really misunderstood by so many people in the last couple of years. And, um, and yeah, and then I go out from there and then I go into like some of the personal stuff of relationships, um, money, like, how do you look at money? How do you look at success? I mean, like, that's something I wanted to talk about on this podcast is what is success? Like, I feel like a lot of people, they inherit the idea of what success is from their parents or from maybe from their peers or from school or something where they just see like, oh, success is being a doctor or success is making a lot of money or success is doing something that my parents would approve of that they would be happy with. And those are how a lot of people would define success. But it's really up to you, you know, as an individual to define success, you define it in your own terms. I mean, I I never was money motivated. I, I never was money motivated, but I was freedom motivated. And to some level, freedom takes some level of money. So I knew, you know, I had to get to, to a certain point to, to have some freedom in that, in that realm. But I mean, I'm a minimalist. I love minimalism. I think it's, it's, it's awesome. And that fits me great. And I would never preach it and say that everybody should be a minimalist. But, you know, for me, that's worked. And, and I've been able to define success in my own way of like, how free am I? That's what I'm, I always ask myself. Like, am I doing the things I want to do? Do I feel free? And then money is down the line. Like I, I don't need a lot of stuff, so I, I don't, you know, I don't need like this really fancy car or big house or anything like that. So, so it's a little bit different. And so, and everyone's going to define it a little bit different. So, I think there's a lot there that your audience here could probably just, you know, just kind of st- take a step back and think about like what are you doing on this planet, and then how are you defining success? Are you are you always on a treadmill where you're like, I got to prove myself, I got to prove myself? Well, then you're not really free. Yeah, the achievement treadmill. It gets to the point of you talking about being minimalistic and Jennifer, you know, my wife is, I would say she's less minimalistic than she was when I met her, but she's very much in the camp of having less and uh, not to the extreme that you're at, uh, Kevin, but there's just this beauty to not having things own you. And I think what I... What I see around me is a lot of, and I'm going to air quote, successful people own all these material possessions, but in reality, those possessions own them, right? So if you own another home and you've got another mortgage and that it takes a certain amount of income, maybe you're not renting it out or maybe you're not fully covering it, 
Uh, I've got a lot of friends that own other homes and they don't like to run them out because their goal wasn't necessarily to make money. They just wanted another home. And so then they have to work hard at their you know job or their business to make the money to cover that second mortgage. And, and you know, the list goes on and on of those types of things, whether it be a boat, a plane, you know, an additional car, whatever it is. And I think we've got to be careful that the possessions that we want to own so bad, they don't create the golden handcuffs of tying us down to something where we have to make a certain income because we become accustomed to this, this lifestyle and this certain expense. And you had said something earlier about you know, kind of safety and security. And I actually want to bring, I've, I've talked about this before, but I want to bring this up again. I think in a lot of senses, safety and security is an illusion, right? Mm-hmm. You've got people think that they're safe. People think, you know, for whatever reason, the banking industry thinks that if you have a W-2 job, you have a safe job compared to an entrepreneur, a sole proprietor that has a air quotes, risky job. And we've learned, you know, during the pandemic, we've learned that at any point in time, people can get fired and their safe job is not really a safe job. And I think that there's this this illusion of safety, this illusion of security where I've got friends that live in a gated neighborhood. Why do you live in a gated neighborhood? Well, it's nice and I've got kids and I want to make sure I keep them safe. Hey, that's great. I hope that we can live in a world where we can keep our kids safe. But the reality is a gated community is an illusion of safety. It is not, I mean, if it gives you the peace of mind, great, by all means, do it. I think that's awesome. And for some people, they live in a gated community for other reasons, right? But the whole idea of like a gate keeping a perpetrator out is laughable. Like there's no (laughs) gate that's going to keep someone out that wants to get in. I live in a gated community and uh, there was a car that was stolen here last year. I mean, you know, my car was broken into with a, with the gate. You know, it's, yeah, that's right. And so security and safety is not sometimes what we drum up in our minds. And I think the, the more that we can get in touch with what is real safety and security. Well, I think that's having great health. I think that's having great yeah. relationships. I think that's being intentional with life and living life on your terms like that is you're going to find fulfillment in that which is going to feel a lot better than just safe or secure though you may still have the byproduct of doing what you want so you do feel safe and secure yeah and then just what is safety and what was safety during covid now that we look back on it we can have different views on what at the time a lot of people thought that safety was staying inside and never leaving. And if you did have to leave, you would, you know, strap on the mask, the double mask and, and uh, spend, you know, put your gloves on and go grocery shopping. And that was safe. But then it turns out that we actually need something called vitamin D and it comes from the sun. And, you know, avoiding that was actually making people more vulnerable to uh, viruses and things like that. So, you know, you end up with, with what they call the pandemic. And it's all, you know, everything turned out to be, a lot of it turned out to be backwards. What was safe was not actually safe. And then giving up your your freedoms and your life is not actually leading to any sort of happiness. So, you know, that, that when it comes to safety, you know, you always have to weigh out all the costs. You know, it's not just like, oh, I could be safe by never leaving my house. But what about all the other costs that it involves? Like, what about things that you like to do? What if you like to go to the park and the beach and all these things? And then you're like, 
but I want to be safe. And it's like, well, you know, where can you make that balance? Like where, you know, everyone's going to be a little different, obviously, but it's not, there isn't just, there isn't some top down. The government can't tell you uh, how to be safe. That's impossible. Yeah. And you talk about this a bit in your book, like where you start talking about like just this whole idea of traditionalisms and like a lot of people not questioning things and just taking it as is. And I think about even with my parents, my parents would say things that today I take as a fact, even though I didn't do my own homework. I didn't question it. I just kind of took their belief system as fact without doing my own due diligence on it. And I'd love to hear some of your thoughts about that, like mindset, worldview, traditionalisms, and what you believe around that. Yeah, well, you know, I talk about this in the book, but most of us go through a rebellious phase, right? There's an inner rebel in most people. Like that's just normal humanity. We have a rebellious phase and every, it manifests differently in everybody. Some people like might turn into like a punk rocker and shave their head and have a mohawk, whatever, and, and dress in a tether, <laughs> tethered, what is it? Tether leather jacket with the little, you know, I, I mean, that might be some version of a, a rebel, but that's only one version. And some people might just rebel quietly inside and be like, yeah, I don't really fit in with everybody here. So I'm just going to kind of do my own thing. And that's their version of rebelling. But what a lot of people do, and what I think that we need to change is, is each of us individually, is that they, they sort of reject that inner rebel. They, they go through the, the phase and they go, ah, oh, that was just a phase. And they get to be, you know, in their 20s, 30s, they start having kids and they're like, yeah, I, I need to, you know, I need to be an adult now. I can't, I, that, that was just something I, I felt like when I was that age, when I was 19 years old and 20 years old, I, I was that way, but I'm not that way anymore. And I need to go with the, you know, whatever the program plan is. Now I need to be like everybody else in society. I can't rebel. And I think that's wrong. I think it, it's not that we should all be super rebellious our entire lives and, and rebel against everything. I mean, that, that's an unhealthy way of rebelling, but, but that we should hold on to some of that, that part and, and realize that it's going to be with us our whole lives. And so to have that part be, heard, you know, within us and, and to say, yeah, I recognize that I still have that part and I can, I can use it or I can have it come out in healthy ways that can help me. Like, you know, for example, being a contrarian investor or something where you're like, no, everyone's doing it this way. I'm going to go do it this other way. And, and it's the same thing in, in your life where you're making all these decisions and how much freedom are you going to get by just doing things the way it's always been done? You know, that's the, that's the thing that, that is held humanity back is when people have this traditionalist mindset where it's like you ask somebody, well, why do you do that? Well, why, why are you doing it that way? And they say, well, that's how it's always been done. And But they haven't even thought about all the other ways that it could be done that an entrepreneur could come and solve like, oh, there's a better way here. And that's how this inner rebel can come through and can create businesses and do things that, that have never been done before. And it, it can really make humanity move forward in a way that is beneficial to everybody. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I, I love hearing you speak and share, you know, kind of your belief systems and your thought process. And by the way, being a contrarian thinker, a contrarian investor, that has really served me well, because I got into a lot of things that people said, don't do it. Yeah. You know, when I got into really specialized dividend paying whole life, I used someone that is really outside the box crafting these these unique policies that no one else is doing, no one else has heard of. And people in my network said, don't do it. And this was back when I was single. I wasn't dating anyone. Uh, I didn't have kids. But I just saw that this is what the wealthiest of wealthy did. And so I was like, well, I would like to get my start. And that has proven to be one of the best things that I've ever done. 
because, you know, I basically have my own bank now that I can borrow against for all the investments that I do because of funding that for, you know, 15, 20 years. Yeah. Mobile home park investing. People told me I was crazy that I should not do this. And this happens to be one of the most sought after asset classes out there, even with single family homes. Uh, before that was an asset class. People are like, are you crazy? What are you talking about? And now it's actually an asset class and people love it. Like the big institutional PE firms are, are buying these up like crazy. Yeah. And so I think it pays to think through and not just follow the crowd. And I would say with conventional investment wisdom, do not follow the crowd because most people do not have it right. If you look at how many people are retiring the way that they want to retire, the way that they thought they would retire, it's a very small sliver. And that's because most are following this traditional approach that is like what Wall Street says, which is just it's totally flawed. They want your money. They make a ton of money. You may or you may not. Uh, And the people that are, are selling you know, these packaged products via, you know, financial planners, advisors, etc. Um, a lot of them aren't questioning it. They're just like, hey, this is the way that it is. And so uh, I think it's important that we, you know, kind of ask our own questions and come to our own conclusions and really dig in and just try to figure out, just say, hey, could things be different than the way that they're presented here? Could I do things a different way? What could the reality be? And I think you're posing some great questions and and some very thought-provoking topics, Kevin. So if someone wants to learn more about you, get your book, learn about your podcast, just dive in more with you, where can we go to find out more about you, Kevin? Yeah, sure. My website is freedomlovin.com. So it's, it's freedomlovin with no G at the end, uh, .com. And yeah, that's really the place. Um, I'm going to have the, all the book information there. Uh, I've got a weekly podcast. I talk about these kind of topics. I talk about some of the more macro stuff as well. I get into Bitcoin. A lot of the decentralized countering these ideas, the, the, the mainstream ideas, talk a lot about that and how you can how you can achieve more freedom and how we can achieve more freedom as a as a society as well. So I get into that on the podcast. And then um, yeah, the book is is just at freedomloven.com slash book. And then I'm I'm not really doing a lot of social media, but I'm on Twitter at uh, at Freedom Loving Way. At Freedom Loving Way. Awesome. Well, hey, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. This has been an awesome episode. And I just want to share with my audience that if you're looking for more content like this or more uh, investment deals via the lifestyle investor community, uh, apply to join the world's most exclusive mastermind that turns everyday people into savvy investors who really regain control of their time, build their wealth, all through investing in invisible deals not available to the general public. These are deals that have been de-risked with preferred terms, accelerated returns oftentimes. So you can learn more at lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash mastermind. And I want to close out our episode today the way I do every single week, which is this. What is one step that you can take today to move towards financial freedom and living a life that you truly desire that's on your terms? So not by default, but by design. Thanks for tuning in, and we will catch you next week. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for listening to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review over on iTunes. Not only do I read every single one, but it also helps me understand what content matters the most to our audience. And if you can think of one or two people who could benefit from this episode, would you share it with them right now? 
Who knows? Maybe they'll buy you something nice when they make their first million. If you would like access to today's show notes, including links to all the resources mentioned, visit www.justindonald.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next week for another episode of The Lifestyle Investor. 